The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. The Brandon Peters Show. I'm Brandon Peters of the Brandon Peters Show. Uh, we're closing the week with a song, and it's, it's a part of. The music video series. Uh, returning for his round on the roulette wheel. See, I went there with that. Ah, the creator of Spark Shooter. He writes for the Saturday Evening Post. He writes for Graphic Policy. He's written comic books aplenty, too. His name's Troy Brownfield. Thank you, Brandon. All right. So, uh, Rocky Three was one of the summer's biggest hits, still, as we're talking, in the top ten for the summer box office. And here, Survivor is making a climb to number one for their song, Eye of the Tiger, which took a while to show up in the charts. After Rocket, like I figured that would build up to the movie, uh, but this was a mega hit from Survivor. Uh, it's on the soundtrack of Rocky Three. It appeared on their album, also called "Eye of the Tiger," that dropped two weeks after Rocky Three uh, had opened in theaters. Uh, the album also featured "American Heartbeat" and "The Only One That Matters." The album re- the album reached number two on the Billboard 200 and went platinum, selling over a million copies. Uh, the version on the soundtrack for Rocky Three, I have. My research says it was actually just a demo version of the song. Um, and, but the song held on to number one for six weeks and was the number two song for the year of 1982. Two, Troy, do you know what was number one? Uh, was it not the holdover of physical from 1981? It was. That was the number one song the uh, the week I was born as well. Um so uh, this is the biggest song of the summer and kind of really the biggest song of 1982. Um, it had the second longest run in the top 10 at 15 weeks behind uh, John Cougar at the time. Uh, Melon Kemp's Hurt So Good, so Cougar Tops Tiger, and, <laughs> which uh, I believe we'll, we're talking about some point in years, Hurt So Good. Um its top 10 run is tied with physical and another one bites the dust. Which we'll talk about the funny part about that in a sec. Uh, as the longest run for a number one song during the entirety of the 80s, 82 had some massive hits this year. And I'm not talking like just for the year, for the decade. Uh, this song went double platinum, has over 4.1 million digital downloads as of 2015. So I'm sure it's over 5 million now. Oh, yeah. I the tiger. Okay, <laughs> I'll get to its as, awards in a sec. But I just—it's just its numbers are crazy. Yeah, as, as the kids say, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, and holy, it, it almost didn't happen. But we'll get to that. Hang on. All right. So go ahead. Okay, <clears throat> just, just to speak to the 
<clears throat> massive stuff. Um, in a previous episode, we alluded to the fact that, you know, MTV launches in August of 1981 mm-hmm. and it is not covering the country yet, but MTV is driving what radio stations are adding in terms of songs. Even if MTV isn't anywhere, it's influencing the music. There's, there's um, really <laughs> sort of, sort of three things going on at the same time. There's, there's the influx of a lot of British acts that already had music videos because it was already a big thing in England. Going back to the Beatles, you can make it to the top of the pops. You send a video. Um, so there's all these bands. So the uh, Human League, Spandau Ballet, Flock Seagulls, etc. They're all coming in like that. You have some established regional rock bands. Uh, the Survivor, you know, Survivor from Chicago, Journey, uh, Thirty Eight Special, Texas. You know, you've got like your that established strong following. They put a performance video together or something. They're getting on MTV and, and then, you know, your solo artists, this kind of thing is becoming this mainstream of MTV, but as the songs get added to MTV radio stations in freaking Iowa are adding them <laughs> because, you know, they might not have MTV yet. I lived in Terre Haute, Indiana. It did not get to Terre Haute for quite some time. Um, so there were, these influxes, but radio was already reflecting what MTV was playing. And so Brandon talks about 1982, there's these massive, massive songs. Everybody is adding them in terms of radio. People mm-hmm. are hearing them on the radio all over the place. If you don't have MTV, your primary delivery system is still radio or maybe solid gold or maybe talk shows that have musical guests. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. Olivia Newton-John was a superstar. So physical was kind of preordained to be a big hit anyway. Um, but then when you have every radio station in America playing Eye of the Tiger, when you have it in movies, when you have it on nascent MTV, man, you have set the stage for zeitgeist. <laughs> and this stuff is not just a little big, but really, really big. And but by 1984, when the coverage has increased a lot, that's where you have, you know, if you watch Thriller come out in 1982, Thriller sells consistently at 82, 83, and 84. And the Madonnas, the Springsteens, the Loppers, all the Princes, all this stuff that you say is like the 80s. It's the combination of all this stuff we're talking about. And it's mm-hmm. reaching unprecedented numbers of people um, just in terms of seeing the stuff every day. Yeah. And Survivor here, like, it helps. It's with Rocky. Rocky Three is the second highest grossing film domestically in 1982, uh, only <laughs> losing to E.T. Uh, which, which is might as well be number one, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, you might as well be number one, and that definitely helps. Like Chicago, uh, this in this summer gets their only number one hit being part of a movie that nobody remembers, but they probably remember the Chicago song. But they credit that movie with helping push them. Uh, through with it and uh we're in we're in july now so i think we've talked about summer lovers uh with daryl hannah and uh peter gallagher which had a banging soundtrack and that helped push it uh this this song like survivor it's a lot of people mistake and think it's rocky four it is used in rocky four but it started here a lot of stuff people who don't aren't rocky rocky heads like myself seem to think a lot of rocky four stuff is they're actually remembering Rocky three stuff too. The movies are very similar. They're very Rocky one and Rocky two to each other. Survivor does have two hit songs in Rocky four, um, Mm -hmm. burning heart 
and um, Hearts on Fire, right? Both in Rocky yes. Four, which uh, you know that'll that'll uh, hit that you know misremembering, <laughs> right? Thing too. Well, here's the thing too: Stallone intended for the song for Rocky Three to be "Another One Bites the Dust" by Queen, but Queen said no. So he commissioned Survivor to do this song, and I'm surprised he didn't force Frank to sing it, them to have Frank sing it. But hey, that happens. Um, Frank Stallone. Frank's, you guessed it. Frank Stallone. <laughs> Frank Stallone. So <laughs> this song wasn't intended to be there. Survivor. Might, I mean, they probably got to see a cut of the movie to write with it. They were gonna call it Survival. They were like, you know what? That's stupid. Just call it the Tiger. Survival by Survivor. Yeah, when it, but but it is one of the great self name drops. Oh in yeah, music. I mean, you've got you know everybody wanting Chung tonight. You've got yeah. You know, Metallica dropped their name in one of the uh, Kill 'Em All songs, I believe. It's yeah. one of the funniest ones that that you'd never imagine dropping their name in a song. But I believe yeah, one of the tracks that Kill 'Em All, Metallica drops their name on it. Yep, call one eight hundred Mixlot. I mean, you know, the, yep. it's much more common in hip hop, but you know. Survivor frames it in such a way that it's not obnoxious. Yeah. It's it's not like, you know, the Wild Wild West, the Escape Club mentioning themselves. Um, you know, Last Known Survivor, it is endemic to the song. Mm-hmm. And they, they somehow managed to do it and not sound like assholes. And it's kind of kind of incredible. It is. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because this w- wasn't supposed to be here. And make it like it. You heard the numbers. It goes. It won best rock performance by a duo group with vocal. It beat for some reason. Asia's whole album was nominated in that category. Um, the Jay Giles Band Centerfold, Kenny Loggins and Steve Perry had the song "Don't Fight It," and Frank and Moon Zappa had "Valley Girl." Um, it was up for yeah. Song of the Year, but lost to Willie Nelson. Always on my mind. Uh, Ebony and Ivory was in there. Toto's Rosanna was in there. Uh, they. And uh, Donald Fagan's IGY, What a Beautiful World, was also nominated in that category. So, like, it was up for, it was all Survivor could do for Grammys, and it goes up for Best Original Song at the Oscars, but it lost to, do you know? Uh, is it uh, Up Where We Belong? Yes, from Officer and Gentleman by Joe Cocker. Uh, and, um, yeah, also up for that was... Jennifer Warren's. That was yes, the other that's what. It is. Uh, <laughs> how do you keep the music playing for best friends? It might be you from Tootsie, and if it were love from Yes, Giorgio, were also nominated. But it goes on to have not just success, some of the most massive success it's, ever. Like it's records, it's, it's crazy, iconic. And yeah. here is one of the crazy lesser-known facts about. Survivor, you know, um, Frankie Sullivan is one of the guitar players, still active, kind of keeps, uh, he's got a really active online presence like Facebook mm-hmm. and whatnot. He, he, uh, is always posting pictures of the heyday, but, you know, um, uh, talking about stuff, really engaging fans and, uh, you know, is in the current lineup of the band that tours. But, um, during this period, the eighties, um, the cores of Survivor and 38 special wrote together hmm. and they would write songs for like they would they would write this song and be like this is a survivor song they write this song this is a 38 special song and so this like brand of rock that is 
part of this kind of burgeoning arena rock scene mm-hmm. has a nucleus of these guys working together who sound nothing right alike other than they're guitar based and that it's kind of a really cool sub note and then the other crazy thing so the lead vocalist on uh eye of the tiger is uh dave bickler who is the original lead singer survivor from like mm-hmm. 78 to 83 so he's he leaves the band and and goes solo after eye of the tiger jimmy jameson becomes the singer and is the singer on all the subsequent hits like high on you can't hold back um is this love and stuff um but they sound a lot alike yeah you wouldn't necessarily know if you didn't know going in that this is two different dudes jameson has a little bit more range jameson's also the guy that sang uh um the baywatch theme. oh okay um, but there was a time when Jameson left and Bickler came back. And there was also a time when they did a tour like Van Halen did where both guys were with the band and like, they would take turns singing mm, okay. their yeah. songs and which is awesome. And yeah. like Sullivan for his part, um, will post pictures of like, Oh, this is our brother, Dave Bickler. Oh, this is our brother, Jimmy Jameson. We miss him because he passed away for, you know, and stuff. And it's like, it's weird because those guys seem to genuinely, kind of still like each other and stuff, you know, over this, this long period of time, but man, they're responsible for some really big rock hits and not just theirs. Right. And not just, well, I think the, the Chicago rock scenes like kind of overlooked nowadays, how big yeah. it was and important. Like, yeah. And the you Chicago cheap beat? trick was Rockford, but you know, they yeah. and massive six of sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chicago. and you could be there and do it. You didn't have to go move to New York or L.A. to You could go to Chicago and make it, like, make it out of there. Just like Seattle would be in the 90s. But, man, yeah. And the video here, it's not much. It's them strutting around, acting cool. Um, it's directed, they look like a gang. Yeah. Which, you know, is, is a good aesthetic for a rock band, right? Right. Uh, I do like how they try to make the dorky keys member of the band look like a hard ass, like walking down the street. So I'm like, that has to be too. Like he's got like the undone button up shirt, the mullet and the glasses like, yeah, wearing the brightest blue jeans on there with the white. Oh, it's hilarious. They're all like in leather. He's got the beret on and they're, and then he comes walking up to join it. Oh, that's that, that beret was Bickler's signature, uh, Headwear, head okay, yeah, headgear, whatever, fucking hat. Uh, <laughs> His cap, but uh, no, they uh, the uh, keyboard player is badass. I mean, you can hear him, mm-hmm. you know, prominently on a number of tunes, and uh, but there, there's so many things right about Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, from just the the guitar interplay, just the the way that the power chords are structured. And kind of sounded like a clock, kind of like a yeah. Everybody knows it. We every it pumps everybody. Everybody at least knows the intro of the song, and then it gets in the verse, and people are like, "Oh, the tiger!" Yeah, yep, yeah. And it's uh, it reminds me when um when the Foo Fighters made the Sound City documentary and played um a couple of shows with people who are also the documentary, like Rick Springfield. 
And mm-hmm. the, the foos are on stage with Rick Springfield and he starts into Jesse's girl and he just hits the first and the crowd goes berserk. And Dave girl's like, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait, how does it feel Rick to have written the song that the entire world knows from one second? Yeah. You know, he's like, how do the other four minutes go? <laughs> <You> know, it <laughs> just, but it was, it was like, but th- that's this song is exactly mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. There's no mistake. It's it's sonically not exactly like anything else, which is crazy because there's a whole lot of early 80s where bands are trying to kind of sound like each other. Mm-hmm. It really is, admittedly. Or at least, you know, well, there's oh, like that mode dude, uses this keyboard. We're gonna cherry pie, rock you like a hurricane. Like it gets to, you know. Yeah. Gets into a, becomes a genre. <laughs> of yeah. Its own, yeah. It, but what what's really kind of cool about, um, survivor is that there is a hard rock authenticity to the song that is not kind of compromised by the artifice of metal that creeps in later Mm -hmm. and you know i mean there are certain bands that subscribe to it more than others like you know judas priest had the leather outfits in a really hilarious way because rob alfred started wearing them because he frequented leather shops right yeah that's look cool we're gonna dress like that and not really getting why um uh, but survivor <laughs> yeah. looks like a bunch of dudes yeah you know they look like guys that got off work like <laughs> right. what a chicago rock band it's like well i've been working at the l all day fuck this i'm gonna go play keyboards uh, right you know it's, that's they they have a an aesthetic appeal just like the guys in 38 special look like they just finished their shifts driving trucks or something and they're like now oh, we're gonna go rock right and it, it was different. It was, and those guys could be stars. Mm-hmm. A few years later, the guys that looked like that would have had a hell of a time being rock stars, right? Or they would have like had an image they wanted, but some gotten in. A, we're not going to dress like that. We're gonna, you're gonna grow your hair out. You're gonna, you know, put this wrestler outfit on. <laughs> you know, like that's this jacket. Yeah, but, um, a, a really good. Uh, Example, I know, um, you know, uh, Into the Great Wide Open by Tom Petty gets a lot of credit for this. But mm-hmm. a few years before that, uh, Richard Marks' first big single, Don't Mean Nothing, was all about uh, A&R people and everything trying to shape what you sounded like. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of ironic because he had a couple of great rock songs out first of that and should have known better. But then he becomes famous as a ballad guy. Right. Despite the fact that he's writing like Edge of a Broken Heart for Vixen and other metal tunes over here like nobody believes that was richard marks <laughs> right <laughs> so so you've got the, the you know chicago 38 or the, the chicago bands you know survivor and 38 special are writing songs together and they're kind of making this whole rock foundation for the early 80s that they kept on having hits both bands like all the way through the 80s and you know there's a bigger sea change that kind of you know impacts that stuff later but gotcha. um, but yeah jameson um and doing the uh um baywatch song is pretty funny and bickler is the guy uh you know the his bud light the real men of genius mm-hmm. ad campaign he's the singing voice ah okay on that he's they did like a hundred of those commercials i'm not exaggerating when i say a hundred they did like a hundred Real Men of Genius radio commercial. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. So uh, it's, it, and it's uh, that, that interesting kind of 
back and forth, but man, in terms of uh sample ability too, this is used in a lot of hip hop tunes. Like mm. we be clubbing yeah. uh, is, you know, and it's, you'll, you'll see those pop up. It's in commercials. It's, um, it is uh, so popular that uh, they have threatened or taken legal action on uh, political candidates for using it. Uh, like, yeah, Newt Gingrich, Mitt Romney, and Mike Huckabee for using it at political events and rallies. What could the common denominator be? Don't understand. Um, yeah. But it, it's always guys that try to look tough, too. Ah, uh, yep. They don't want to play Eye of the Tiger, which, you know, you mentioned the song, but it's always, it's never, I, I, I am fascinated by the apparent love that Donald Trump has for Gloria by Laura Branigan. Right. Like, where are the fuck did that ever cover we need to do a deep dive on that because there i don't go. understand that at all and she's too dead to fight about it but you know it's just where the hell did that come from i can't imagine she would have been a person that would have been okay with that <laughs> but you know but but it's, it's just it, it's it's funny to me and you know i the tiger is certainly a song that like you get it you get why you use yeah. it at a rally but right but it, it's also um it's interesting in the way that there's a whole lot of songs uh, that are famous for films that do not have a dialogue component that ties it to, to the song. Right. It, like, it starts to go away in the, in the late nineties. It just becomes throw hits on the soundtrack. And you know, yeah. a lot of times here, at least five tracks might be written for a film and then a bunch of B sides thrown at them from popular artists. Yeah, and, and so like Eye of the Tiger is actually a recurring motif in the film when mm-hmm. you know Apollo's telling Rocky that he, he used to have the Eye of the Tiger mm-hmm. and he's lost it and he's got to get it back. He's using it to pump him up in the last fight with Clubber Lang. Yeah, you know it's it's a running motif. It's a song that's about something. Whereas, you know, um, I've had the time of my life as a phrase is never uttered in Dirty Dancing, or <laughs> Take My Breath Away is never uttered in Top Gun. You know, mm-hmm. it's like. <laughs> Just, you know, they, they are. Well, the song Take My Breath Away is written about masturbation used in a sex scene. Yeah. Between two people. Well, and, and it, that's that's an episode for another time. How Take My Breath Away killed Berlin, who was an awesome band. Um, <laughs> their biggest hit broke up the band this week on Bands United. But um, yeah, that's, man, that it's, happened. It's happened more than once, though. That's getting a hit and breaking up right after. That's. Yeah, well, I think the problem was that's just you know slight tangent. the The band had a very particular sound, and mm-hmm. that song was not their sound. And they got like hugely popular based on a song that wasn't theirs and wasn't yeah. their sound, and it caused so much tension that they ripped themselves apart. Gotcha. Well, that's what I always I always say like like I think with like with Pearl Jam. Uh, 10's not their sound versus Vital- that's more in the wheelhouse of what they sound like they got really polished and so same with Nirvana on Nevermind I think In Utero yeah. sounds more like what Nirvana was before they recorded that Nevermind album yeah yeah there's a um, great interview with uh, Scott Stapp from Creed of all people from mm-hmm. about the time of Pearl Jam's fourth album where it, you know, people are talking about the comparisons between him and Eddie Vedder and he said mm-hmm. Well, they've gone in a very different direction than us, which is hook-free music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I like. First of all, that's kind of ballsy to say, but it was. It's so funny because it was true. Like Yellow Ledbetter 
is probably one of the most heard rock songs of the last hundred years. Can you tell me five words of that song in a row? Come see me. Yeah. 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 It's like, the fuck are they? Yeah, I mean. Can I see so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? But in terms of like Survivor having an aesthetic and a sound and everything, this really fixes on it. You know, I mean, you're not going to go to a tremendous amount of other songs and not get elements of this song in the other songs. They're right. there. This is, this is band identity. It's not a case of, Oh shit. We had a chance to get a song on a movie. We're going to like go in a completely different direction and be gotcha. someone else. We're going to, you know, this, this is aesthetically them. And then, you know, who plays out. In, in fact, they did lighten up a little bit, get a little bit more keyboard heavy with the success they had with those songs. Like High on You and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, which still have good guitar parts and they're still, you know, where they're a little more on the poppy end of the rock spectrum. But, and then it searches over as just a straight up power ballad, you know? Yeah. But this is just. But that that became that wasn't you know a slight on them. I mean that was the formula at the time. That was the shit you had to do to keep getting right. your songs. Got to eat on the radio. Yeah, I will say uh, the video. I forgot to give the director director credit. Uh, Victoria Rain Kiriakis. This is it. So she did. That's so weird. I had the tiger. So. Oh man, but yeah, this this is. Um, indisputable movie film that movie soundtrack classic i mean indisputable mm-hmm. you know of its time so popular I, it, it is really kind of hard to communicate but i think it's it's funny that if you were playing one of those youtube do kids recognize this song games they'd know this song yeah this never left and it even had that resurgence with the roy 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 which roy, was the actual roy, band roy. yeah <laughs> Gazing up, going to work. Like that yeah. brought it back when it didn't even need to be back, but it helped it. Yeah, it was just, just Survivor. Well, um, and uh, a couple of months ago, I wrote an article about Flock of Seagulls for the. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That, I remember. That's another 1982 song that never went away. Mm-hmm. It was included in the soundtrack of Vice City. Yes. It was, they sold and, it on that. Yeah, they sold yeah. it with that one. And that was that was at that point was twenty years after the song had been out, but it's not like it needed a resurgence. Everybody knew the damn song. Well, it's funny, but, like that, that song was not in the movie Scarface, but you're like, damn, why didn't they put that in Scarface? <laughs> like, yeah, that's it goes perfectly with it almost. But it would have it would have fit. Yeah, there, that that would be a great episode. Brandon is like songs that should have been in movies. Like, we'll do that. We'll do that. Particular, song- particular films. We need to write down these ideas you have during these because they're good, <laughs> and then we never do them. So, so, so. We'll roll back through. Wait a minute. It was it was at the uh, thirty five minute mark. Try it. There we go. Uh, uh, roll back tape. Uh, but yeah, so I yeah I the tiger. Um, yeah, we didn't talk about the video much because there's not much here. They just wander yeah, the yeah. streets and then they play in front of a glistening, blowy thing, and they're all well, badass. That that might be a thing for for the audience too. Like younger audience members might not think about the fact that at a certain point that was enough. Yep. It was novel enough that you were seeing this band. Cause hell man, there were a lot of people that didn't know what the bands looked like. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have a clear 
photo on the album or the single, you didn't necessarily know what the yeah. people you were listening to looked like. Well, I'm typically a, a story music video guy or make some short film type thing with it, not the, yeah. just straight up live playing with. But uh, the guy who does the Summer of 82 at 40, Jingles, Press Max, and when I've talked to him about music videos, he likes the live ones. He's like, I want to see what these guys got. I want to watch them play. I want to see their, you know, so I'm like, so he likes those music videos better because there's no messing around. He wants to see that band in action. And I'm like, okay. You know who typifies that more than just anybody else? ACDC. Yeah. They have a couple of videos that have little narrative threads, but most of the videos are just like, it's ACDC. <laughs> yep. It's just us doing our yeah. thing. Uh, and we have done our thing. So, Troy, that'll do it for this week. You'll be back one more time here to close out your run here on the Summer of 82 at 40 music video series. But until then, let people know where they can keep up with you. Saturday Evening Post, which is SaturdayEveningPost.com, quite cleverly, um, at Troy Brownfield at Twitter, uh, because at this point I'm back. And then uh, you should check me out on Facebook and Spark Shooter Comic on Facebook, which is my comic about a local band. All right. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. Have a great weekend, of course, but be back Monday for more Summer of 82 at 40. As Scott and I just keep trucking through, I believe we're into August almost here. Ah, until then, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of 82 at 40 and News of the Moment themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. <laughs>